Well, good evening. It's good being with you guys tonight. Thank you guys for coming out and uh, joining us for service. Well, we're going over a story that we've probably all known for our life if we grew up in the church, which I was thinking through and I was like, that makes it a little easier and, and not really. So it's like, we'll see how it goes. So um, we're going through a, a familiar story that it's like a comeback story. It's, a, it's an underdog story. And we all love underdog stories. Every movie that we watch has some glimpse of you want that character to, you know, if they're not doing real well, you want them to do better. Um, movies like, you know, Rudy. We watched Rudy and Trellis, and that's one of those great comeback stories of a, a kid who got a chance on the field. And, you know, Rocky, one of my favorites is Rocky, a guy who didn't have any place being where he is, and then when he get, did get into place, he got it, and, now he, and then he was a champion. And then like, things like the pursuit of happiness that kind of tear on your heartstrings, and you're like, I just want this family to get out of there. You know, we know these stories. This, these are great stories, and, and even in the secular world, we know, they know the story of David and Goliath. They, it's something that they don't even need to know most of the Bible. They just know this story, and they're like, oh, yeah, he defeated the giant. And... Um, with that being said, on the secular note, um, I know today is the Cowboy game. It's going on as we speak, and so I really appreciate everybody that's here. Um, so, but you will get a little taste of the Cowboys as we play this next clip that shows you just how much this story is talked about. Go ahead and play it, Josh. I was going over David and Goliath. And, and, and God gave me a revelatory gift. He showed me something in this. He said, you know, I use great moments to pull greatness out of great men. I did not send David to slay Goliath. I sent Goliath to prove to David that what resides in him is a giant. And I want my young Dallas Cowboys to know, those young Davids to know, this giant that sits before you today, he is not for your destruction. It is for your construction. You will slow the world that you will slay this giant. <laughs> I saw that clip a couple months ago, and I was going back and forth on if I really, really should do it and show it. But when I found the Cowboy game was today, I was like, okay, I got it. I'm going to play it. But we, get a, we see that this, you know, is talked about a lot. And I was thinking through, you know, it's probably so much talked about that people probably don't even think it even happened. They might even think it's a fairy tale or just a parable. And we know it's not. It's a narrative. It's, it's something that happened. It's a real life story. And so I want us to think about that as we actually go through this and just remember this, you know, because, you know, as I, it's one of those things we've just known for our whole life. But if we can put ourselves in and it may be outside of what we know in our pre um, what is the word I'm thinking of? Preconceived ideas or notions of what we think it is. Maybe we'll see something a little bit different. And so my goal, and don't be afraid, is to almost read through everything. I won't go through all 58. I'll probably go through 40. But bear with me. I feel like whatever I don't or whatever I forget to say, hopefully by reading through the passage, it says it for us and we can learn a little bit from it. So we'll read uh, through in chunks and we'll do the first 11 verses here. And also, forgive me, I, I've read this very much, like, like a lot this past week, and I still can't pronounce correctly, so I'm going to mispronounce words. <laughs> it 
It says, uh, the Philistines gathered their forces for war of Sukkot in Judah and camped between Sukkot and Issachar in Ephs the, the Memon. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah, and they lined up the, in field and battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were standing on another hill, with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, uh, nine inches tall, and wore a bronze helmet and bronze scaled armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins, and bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver beam, and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. He stood and shouted to the Philistine in battle formation, Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them, Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and, and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. So we see that the Israelites are lined up on, on two sides. They're all, both on a hill, and there's a valley in between. And really, it's very interesting. It's, if you do go out onto the valley, you're kind of exposing yourself. Like, you, you're, you're subject to getting shot at, not obviously with a gun, but with a sling. You know, you're exposed. And so they're up on this hill, and they're both playing this little hide game. And we see the Goliath comes out, and this is the, where the Philistines have the superior advantage. They have this guy who, you know, my text says nine feet, nine inches. And as I read, there's, ver there's a very debated topic on whether he was that tall. For the sake of today, I'm going with he was this tall. And, um, and it just makes it a little bit cooler. But there's an another thing I'll mention in a minute on why he might have been just that tall. But um, he's probably, I have, I've done something. He's probably as tall, maybe a foot less than uh, this ceiling. I've measured this before, but I've forgotten. But that's a tall guy. Like, even for me, that's a little bit tall. And David was probably much shorter than me. Um, we see in this that they call him the champion. And something else I noted in, in, in studies was this word champion in the Hebrew, I won't mention what it says because I don't know, I know how to pronounce it, but the meaning of it is a man between the two camps or a man of the space between, which I found very interesting because obviously this is a man who's saying, I'll fight on behalf of the Philistines. You just need to pick a man for the Israelites. I don't fully know in, in, in studying why it wasn't very clear that it was a common thing they did to have a you know just a single combat but with that name and in the story that's just how it played out and so maybe if y'all know like Shannon said she'll be judging me because she's going through the first Samuel in her class maybe she'll find out for me but we see that that he calls out and he's just like once one-on-one -on -one single combat which you know we know prevents bloodshed from everybody, nobody else, <laughs> it's funny, nobody, you know, only the one person has to die on behalf of the whole people, but I just laughed because at the end of the story, that doesn't happen. Um, we'll get there. But 
Many of the sources may have said that this was an uncommon way of practicing. Another thing I noted that was kind of curious was the shield bearer. And I'm thinking, okay, if this dude is as tall as he says, has this armor, and he weighs as much and has this stuff, why does he need a shield bearer? Like, why do you need more in front of you? And I felt bad for that dude. I just was like, man, you know you're going to die first. But one of the things that I, I found out with shield bearers was a lot of the time, they were only used for when you were doing like the slingshot. And so it was also very interesting to find out why, okay, why do you need to have a shield bearer if you're not even, if your main form of combat is not slingshot, it's, you know, one-on-one -on -one, like fighting with a sword. So this is maybe where I've, I'm going into a speculatory, like I did some research, I, I, I was very interested to find out some things about Goliath. Possibly it is, it, he might have had familial isolated pituitary adenoma, which is like a tumor in his pituitary gland, which cause, the symptoms are eye loss and giganticism, which, you know, whether you think that happened or not, I was, I was like, okay, well, I read, you know, he might have had a shield bearer so that it helped him see all that he needed to see. Maybe, maybe not, but for me, I'm just thinking, you know, why do you need a shield bearer if you're as ch a champion of champions and you have your own, you know, army and your own chariot? So it, it could be that he, he may not have needed it for protection, but it helped him kind of see. That's, that's something else, Shannon, that you can maybe kind of do for me uh, after this. So, but we see a, a key thing that we notice in this passage after he said this is in verse 11. It says, When Saul and all of the Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. So there's two things here. We see that Saul, it's, it's, it's noted, when Saul and all of Israel. And so we know that Saul was the leader. He was the king. And he is the, the one that people look up to. He's the one that people are like, all right, well, he's calling somebody out. Maybe it should be our king. Um, but we can see that he, he's kind of afraid. Even, even Goliath's like, aren't you guys servants of Saul? It kind of sounded like a jab. Like, y'all are servants of Saul. Like, Saul, you come on out and you fight for your people. Um, and I kind of got a glimpse of, uh, in, in Proverbs 29, 18, where it says, where there's no vision, the people perish. And it seemed like Saul, he had lost that. And these people were just, they were like, uh, oh, well, if, you're, if my king's not going to do anything, then I'm not going to do anything. The other thing was, we know from um, 1 Samuel 9, 2, that he was head and shoulders above any other person. So he was, not only is he the king, but he's the tallest. So, okay, in retrospect, he should still be the one to go out there and fight because he's the tallest. And then along with that, we know one of the main reasons he didn't go and he trembled and he feared was, was he lost the spirit of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord was no longer with him. We talked about how David was anointed in first. Samuel 16. And what we didn't go through was that in verse 14, it says, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. And so we see Saul is now not only, you know, he's tall and he's strong and he's, you know, good looking, but he's, he doesn't have that courage anymore that he, he once had the spirit of the Lord left him. So he's, he's really like just a mere man. And he had, and he's like, I, I, I'm, I'm trembling. He's afraid. And so we can see that because the leader acted this way, now we can see that all of Israel, all of the Israelites 
acted this way. And so Goliath was using his height, he was using his strength, his armor, his voice to put fear into the Israelite camp before the battle had even begun. And so it was interesting to me, I was seeing Israel look to Saul, and when they saw that Saul was terrified, they were terrified. And then Goliath had all this confidence, and they didn't technically have to fight. They were just like, oh, our, our, our warrior's confident, so we're confident. I can see that they're being confident. And this is just one of those cases of realizing we cannot put our trust and our faith in a person, in one person, because that at any moment, anything can happen. And we know that our, our trust and faith is put in Jesus Christ, which is unmovable. But this is a, a case of the people looking to Saul, their king, and he failed them. So let's continue reading through the passage. Um, we'll do 12 to somewhere around 27, maybe 28. It says, now David was the son of, Eph- of the Ephronite from Bethlehem of Judah named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons and during Saul's reign was already an old man. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war and their names were Elab the firstborn, Abinadab the next, and Shammah the third. And David was the youngest. The third oldest had followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. Every morning, and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. One day, Jesse had told his son David, take this half bushel of roasted grain along with those, these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Also take these 10 portions of cheese to the field commander. Check on the well-being of your brothers and bring confirmation for them. from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up, and set out, to Je- out as Jesse had charged him. He arrived at, at the perimeter at the camp as the army was marching out in the battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in the battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him, terrified. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, Do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the family of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The troops told him about the offer concluding, offer concluding that is what will be done for the man who kills him. So we see that now David's on the scene. He's in the picture now and he is um, for 40 days. This giant has come out and is taunting God. He's saying, you know, I'm thinking through things that he might have said, and it just cannot be kind words, but probably like, y'all are so weak. You're so small. You must, you must have a terrible God. They probably, he doesn't love you. You don't have any confidence. It's over and over and over. And it's just like, to me, I was thinking, if somebody that I loved was getting taunted at like that for 40 days, I'd hope I'd do something. You know, like they didn't do anything for 40 days. They just sat there in fear. That just sounds agonizing in and of itself, to be honest. But for 40 days. But the key verse here we see is in 26. While the men were afraid and their leader was hiding behind fear, 
it looks like David's become a little stunned. You know, he's, he's a little curious as to why no one's doing anything. And I got a sense that he was a little bit angry. But he also is probably one that's looking up to these people. He's like, he wants to be, you know, a mighty warrior. And he's like, okay, but these are the people I'm looking up to. Y'all aren't doing anything. And so he's stepped into a leader role. And we kind of get a glimpse now of why God chose David. And we get a glimpse of his heart. And two things that, you know, are, are, are in this passage is the language. The Israelite man that spoke, he used language such as, do you see this man? As in reference to Goliath. And he also goes, he has come to defy Israel. But David was like, man, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now, the circumcision we know was established in the Abrahamic covenant as a sign of, that they were with God. And so David knew that this man was not of God. He automatically knew, which did not cause him any fear at all. He's like, okay, he's not of God. He's against God. He's, he literally hates God. I have no reason to fear this man. Okay, he's just, he's just not of God. The next statement he says is, he should not only divide just Israel, but the armies of the living God. So David saw that this was not just about making Israel weak and look bad. It was more than that. It was about, it was the fact that he was belittling and making fun of the living God. That's what got to him. And so we see that it was deeper. David got a glimpse that it wasn't just a man and it wasn't just about Israel. This was a fight much bigger than him. And we see uh, one thing that was interesting in studying 1 Samuel 16. You know, God pushes um, his name, his name, Samuel. I knew that. And he says, find somebody after my own heart, not height. And it's interesting that David's first challenge that he faces is a guy that's very, very tall. And he had the choice to be like, maybe this ain't for me right now. Like this is, he didn't play any of that. He just, he literally said, I don't care how tall you are. You don't like God. You're, you're done. Like he, di- he didn't look past his height at all. It was very interesting. So we can see that David had the, that heart after God and he understood what God saw. And so now we get into a little bit of, of brotherly controversy, some jealousy in uh, verses 28 here. He goes, David's older brother Elab listened as he spoke to the man and he began and became angry with him. Why do you come down here? He asked, who do you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. And David replied, what have I done now? Protested David. It was just a question. When he turned from, the, from those beside him to others in front of him, he asked about the offer. The people gave him the same answer as before. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't have any brothers, but I do have siblings. And this sounds just like them. They're just going at it. Like, this is definitely not their first time getting into it. And he's like, okay, what have I done now? I'm just out here asking questions. All right. I just want to know some things. And honestly, as I put myself in Elab shoes, if I had a little brother and I was the one who was supposed to fight war, I was the one who was supposed to be king, I'd probably be a little upset at him too. Like, okay, little, go away. Like, this is, this is our thing. We're, we're fighting. You go be with the sheep. Like, aren't you being with the sheep? Like, one of the interesting parts was the Bible, it literally says in verse 20, David got up in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it. And I love that it says that right there as Elab is also criticizing him for saying, 
aren't you supposed to be leaving something with the sheep? And we realized, you know, we read earlier, uh, I did. I kept, I, I, I mean, I got it. Like, that's my job. I had someone keep it, and now we're good. But he's trying to find anything at David to, to make him feel bad or, or um, to, to make him feel like he shouldn't be there. But we see that Eli got angry and resentment in his heart. And it probably was because he was probably resentment at David because he was supposed to be king and now he's king. He's the anointed one. You know, God chose him. And so now he's feeling like you stole it from me. And now he's trying to guilt him and saying, you know, don't you have responsibilities? Like, go away. And the next thing we see is he thought he knew David's heart. See, he mistaken his confidence, David's confidence for arrogance. Just because David had the strength, the courage, and the vision because God gave it to him, Elab took that as, oh no, that is not from God. That's arrogant and an evil heart. Aren't we glad that God chose David and not Elab because he did not see through all of this? And the last thing, the point three in, in, this, in this controversy with his brother, it is possible too that he, he looked not, not only down to his age, I do believe that he was making fun of his age and just saying this kid brother, like, you've come down because you're not used to this. You're not used to battle like us. And so you're just trying to get us, one of us to go out there and fight so you can watch. And so I can kind of get a glimpse of maybe these reasonings of why he would act this way. Um, but we see really the main, the main thing with Elab was he was ultimately afraid. He was angry because his little brother, David, was right. And he was taking on this leadership position. And in the moment when they needed somebody, he was the one that stepped up. And he was getting a little bit discouraged and like a little bit. He's like, okay, yeah, I need to be like that probably. And we can see that whenever we're in the wrong and we hear someone call us out, the last thing we really want to do is be like, all right, yeah, I did it. Or, you know, it's my fault. So we can see that Elab is, is not feeling very great. But for David, he's ready to fight. And so he's, we see going on to the next chapter, not chapter, verse, that he goes to Saul. So in uh, 31, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. So he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, the Lord will, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul saw David, go. Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. All right. Well, Saul hears about this and David is coming to him. And we see that he just now got basically told off by his brother. And now he's coming to Saul and he's saying, Saul, I'll fight for you. I'm, I can do this. And Saul belittles him and says, no, I don't think you can. You're too young. This guy's been fighting his whole life. Like, you're not going to be any challenge for him. So he, he's getting, for a second time, 
belittled for his youth. And, um, but that did not stop him. He didn't, you know, I'm thinking through, maybe, you know, if I was David, maybe this is, maybe I am too young, but, you know, maybe I shouldn't be here, you know, listening to these people. Not a single budge. He didn't move. He responded with confidence. He had a strong faith. He was young, but he had a strong faith. He had the spirit of the Lord in him. Nothing was going to move him. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. He responds again. This is the second time in the Bible. He says, he, this is an uncircumcised Philistine, and he will be like the lion and the bears that I fight. He's, he's equating him, this tall giant, to just, uh, this is, I do this all the time. I, they come near the sheep, they die. This guy comes there, are my people, he dies. Like, he, he's not budging. It's a very strong faith that he has. Very, very strong faith. And, at this, and also, he says, and he's defied the armies of the living God emphasizing that this man is not of God and that he needs to fight because he hates God. Goliath, not David. Um, he gives credit to God. We see it in, verse, in the verse we just read. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of the Philistine. And I think that's where, why he was so confident. We can see he was not saying, oh, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Like, I think I can do it. He's like, I'll do it because the Lord will be with me. The Lord will be the one to do this. I am only going to be a vessel. So now we get to the battle, and we'll read through the, the battle part here. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword and on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hands. He chose five smooth stones from the weighty and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. There we go again. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here. The Philistine called to David and I'll give you the bird. I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beast. Okay, we'll pause right there. So we see that he's, he tries to put on the clothes. It doesn't fit him. And so he goes to what he's used to. And what he's used to is being a shepherd. He, he uses a slingshot. And so we see that Goliath is trying to get closer and closer. This is me just playing with the theory I had at the beginning. But I brought up the pituitary tumor. It's possible that it would be hard to see David, especially with how small he is. And so he's getting closer and closer. But as well as that, he's probably expecting, like we talked about, man-to-man combat. So he's wanting to get closer to, to him to fight. And when he sees him, he's like, oh, this is a joke. Like, the Israelites think, I'm, I'm a joke because you brought this little kid out. And then the moment he says that, he curses at him, and he looks down on his youth, and he's like, this should be an easy fight. Like, this is, this is over before we know it. And he says, you know, am I a, a dog that you come against me with sticks? He was offended. Further, he cursed, uh, he cursed David by his gods. And it, when Genesis 12, 3, it says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. So we can see that the moment he started doing this, 
and David was in the spirit of the Lord, it was not going to be pretty for Goliath. Lastly, he tells him to come here and he will give, him the, give his flesh to the birds and the wild beasts. And so now David responds. Now, you know, Goliath's come at him. So now he gets to come at him with his, his, his words. And we have this really great monologue here. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give you the corpse. I lost my place. (laughs) Oh, give the corpse to the Philistine camp, to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that the Israel, uh, Israel has a God. That's, that's important. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by sphere that the Lord saves. For the battles is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. So we can see the confidence and the spirit-filled just faith that's driving David here. He, he, does, he, he says, you come to me with sword, javelin, you have all this stuff on me. That doesn't matter to me. You know what matters to me? You hate my God. And now that you hate him and you've been taunting him, you're going to die. Like, he, it's, it's, so, it's so crazy. Like, he just does not budge. And that's just the power. I really do feel the power of the Lord and the spirit and the faithfulness David had in him. So I love that we can see that David already sees... He already knows going into this battle, this isn't about physical because he doesn't have the physical strength. He's not going to be able to fight the way Goliath is expected to fight. And so he, he says, now that you come at me, you're going to have to die. And he's so confident, he literally tells Goliath what he's going to do. It's like the play-by-play. Um, I'm going to do this, and then when you die, I'm going to cut your head off, and when you do this, I'm going to do this. And then I, I, it was interesting, Goliath told David, I will give you to the birds and the beast. And David goes, no, I'm going to give you to the birds and the beast. So he says that in, um, in verse 40, 46. And he just, he's just really confident. So then we see the one shot, one kill that everybody knows here. Uh, 48. When the Philistine started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry, and chased the Philistine to the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. Philistine bodies were strewn all along the Sharam road to Gath and to Ekron. When the Israelites returned to the pursuit of, from the pursuit of the Philistines, they plundered their camps. We'll stop there. I won't read the rest there. It's, it's a little, I could talk about it, but it, it's really not the main point of the story anymore. So now we see the battle started, and before the battle started, it was over. (laughs) Like, really before David, or before Goliath could even see the stone, he was on the ground. And I was interested to see, like, okay, what could potentially be, like, the speed? What's the rate of speed on the slingshot? I want to know. And obviously, we don't know exactly, but it was estimated anywhere from 100 to 150 miles per hour. 
And so if a rock that fast came at me, I'd be dead too. Like, there's other speculations, like he probably wasn't wearing a, uh, the right helmet, and he still fell. If he was wearing his helmet, it wouldn't have happened. But even if he was wearing his helmet, he has the Lord that's literally behind that sling. I fully believe the Lord could put some extra power behind that to kill him, because the Lord was with David. So regardless of what the, the, the viewpoints on that is, that, that's not also the main point. But we can see that what people consider David's weakness to be, you know, small, and he doesn't have any armor, that's, that's something that, you know, that's a weakness. It's actually his greatest strength because he didn't need it. He, he had the, the sling, and that's what he was used to. So, and Goliath never mentions, he says, you come at me with sticks. He never really, it, you know, this is me speculating in the text here, but he never says, you come at me with a sling and sticks, you know. He just says sticks. So it's possible that Goliath never even saw the sling. Like he didn't even see that he was ready with, with that. He was just probably like, this is going to be fun. Like I'm just going to beat this kid up and he's going to die. But he didn't, he, he probably had no idea. So this was God showing Israel and the Israelites and the Philistines that this is not by military strength. The point is that God is fighting the battle. And ultimately we know that the battle already belonged to God before it started. So we see that it's finished. And as we see that David's defeated Goliath and the battle is finished as a way, my, my version I read, it was kind of a thing that my dad and I were going back and forth on in text. Some checks say like, you know, because it emphasizes sword and he, he didn't need a sword. He didn't need a sword. And then in my text, it really confuses things by saying, David ran over stood, uh, to Goliath. He grabbed the Philistine sword, pulled it from its sheath and used it to kill him. Well, in many other translations, it says before that, that he's, he dies by the, the slingshot. And this is just the way, the word I, I, I think helps is it finished him. This, he was already dead, but it was a sign that I'm going to cut your head off. And it's a way of saying this battle is over. And the moment that that happened, the uh, Philistines fled. They were, they were in fear. So the, 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 we can see now that the Philistines were already cowards, and, and they were full of pride when, when they had Goliath to fight for them. But the moment that he was gone, so was their confidence. And now, just like the Israelites in the beginning, they were full of fear. So it flipped, and we can see just how powerful it is when, we put, when, when, they, when, a, when a people puts themselves behind a leader. And so the Israelites then chase after them, and it gets really vulgar. They all die across all of the road. And that's just a, a way of showing that God is powerful. This, you will not mess with my people. And so they plunder them. And, and so we, that's really the story we see. So what are some things that we can learn from this? You know, what does some of these things mean? I'll go through a couple of things and then we'll be, we'll be done. So for what this battle taught them and what it can teach us. One, this battle demonstrated the existence and the power of God of Israel. Two, it showed the superiority of Israel's God over the deities of Goliath and the Philistines. And three, it also showed the nation is not defined by military weaponry, but in God. So we know from the beginning that David never viewed this as a one man versus one giant. This was one God versus this pagan God. And, and it's not an attack... It is an attack on the Israelites and then in, 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 in turn a direct attack on David. 
But David didn't really see it as that as much as, no, this is an attack on God. This is an attack on my God. And so I will be the one, like, this is above the Israelites, whom I'm sure he supports and love, and above myself, I will die for my God. And so this was really about that. And so we can see the heart of David and the spirit of God working in him. And, 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 and through that, hopefully Israel can see that. Some things that were interesting in terms of how David was similar to... Um, oh, yes, my bad. I flipped it in my head. One of the things that we hear a lot is, you know, be, be David, fight your Goliaths, you know, fight your, your giants and things like that. And so playing with that, instead of be, be David, we can be like David in a couple of ways. One, we should have the faith like David. So David had a zeal for God and his faith in God. He wasn't alone. He, he went through, and we can see that he went through a lot of, you know, Questioning his brother, then you know there, he was saying, "You're too young. You don't. You shouldn't be here." Saul didn't believe he could do it. He was too young. Goliath cursed at him. He said, "You're going to die." All these steps, you know, it should make anybody question. Okay, maybe I'm making a dumb decision, but David never faltered. David had a strong faith. He had the vision. The Lord gave him the vision and the conviction to fight. We may face times where where our faith is tested, in the workplace, you know, at school, uh, at home wherever it is, at the mall, with our friends, wherever we go and we profess our faith, there will always be someone, (laughs) it always happens, that hates it. Someone who wants to curse you like Goliath. We must look to David in this this story as an example of someone who does not back down. We stay strong in our faith and our conviction. We profess him even when everyone thinks we're crazy. (laughs) Sorry. I did this in practice, too. It was crazy. This should be our goal. In these moments, we must also remember if we profess Christ, he's chosen us to be warriors for him. Be the leaders wherever we go. Can people look to you in that aspect? Second thing, David was ready. David is an example of someone who was faithful because he was called. But also, he was a shepherd, and he took his job seriously. He meditated on God's word. And he had, he had him guide his heart and his mind. When it came to defending and fighting, David probably was in the field constantly practicing the slingshot. He didn't sit there and say, oh, I wish I was in the battle like my brothers. I wish I could be them. He's like, no, God gave me the task of being a shepherd. So I'm going to fulfill that task as however that looks. And so he fulfilled that task and he was faithful. And when it came time, when he was chosen, it wasn't because of... It was because he was ready. He was doing the things that God wanted him to do before God told him to do it. And that was the reason God chose him. So God can accomplish any task and anyone for his purpose, no matter how young we are, like, like, like David, or how old we are. This story shows the importance of, of it's a heart. You know, young and old, it's about your heart. How are we practicing our, our faith? How are we showing our faith to other people? Do we have the full zeal? Are we ready to serve the Lord when no one's calling us to serve the Lord? Or when when we're not called to be at the forefront, when we're not called to preach, are we ready? You know, it says that in the Bible, be ready in every season. And David was ready in every season. And so the Lord can use a ready heart.
That's another thing we can be like David. And a couple of things on how this points to Jesus, because a lot of this, and I won't go through all of them, because some of them, there, I was like, okay, I feel like you're stretching that a little bit. But there are some things in this story with David and Goliath that it points directly to who Jesus is. See, so Jesus came from the line of David. And in, first, in 2 Samuel 7, God tells David that one of his line would be the descendant of him to reign on the throne over the people of God. See, Jesus was, the anoint, was anointed by God just like David. Jesus, just like David, Jesus was sent by his father to his brothers and disciples. His brothers, just like um, um, David, they, did not, they didn't think he was, he, was, um, he was rejected, basically. Like, we know that God was re- or Jesus was rejected by men, by his disciples. They were asking him, well, we want to see the works. And that comes from John 7, 5. So his disciples didn't believe in him just like David. No one believed David. And Jesus spoke, and, and, and so did David spoke about God and his faithfulness and, and taught God, and he had the heart of God. So did Jesus. Um, David and Jesus are both aspects of, uh, show aspects of meekness, God-fearing, and they had humility. David and Jesus trust in the Lord to deliver them and not in human strength. And we see, like, just like David, who stepped in place, Jesus wins the victory for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's the point. No one, we, we like to say to be like David. Well, we can't. Because David in this story is the intercessor for Israel. And for us, we know that God, we can't defeat the giants of our life without the intercessor coming. And Jesus did that. He came on behalf of all of us and he, he died, and, he, and he, he did that for us when we did not deserve it. And he fought our battles. All the sin that we face every single day, he's defeated it. All the things that we face in moving forward, all the shame we feel, and even death, he fought. And, he, and on that cross, he was the one who interceded for us and gave his life for us. So that's the point of this story at the end of the day. He's an, David is an example of one who came as an intercessor for the people and saved the Israelite people. And in that way, God sent his son and saved us, a people who are not worthy, who are just like the Israelites. We're fearful all the time. We cower away. We get afraid when, we, we, when, when somebody hates our faith and when, when people are questioning our faith, we... we are just like the Israelites. We're not like David in this story. But thanks be to God that he sent his son for us. And on that, I'll pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for this story, this famous story that you've given us in this narrative. Lord, I just pray that you show us areas of our life that we are too fearful for whatever reason to share our faith, that we would step out in confidence. Lord, I've You tell us that you don't give us a spirit of fear. We pray that you would give us a spirit of confidence like David. Lord, and I pray that we would, in everything that we do, that we would focus on you and that you would be the center of our life. That we wouldn't just do things for ourselves, but we would do things for you because you gave us the ability and you gave us the freedom like we talked about this morning. Help us to not abuse that and help us to go forward in faith. In Jesus' name.
Amen.